Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for Security Now is provided by AOL Radio at AOL.com slash podcasting. This is Security Now with Steve Gibson, episode 62 for October 19th, 2006, Proxies. Security Now is brought to you by Astaro, makers of the Astaro Security Gateway. On the web at www.astaro.com. And by Dell. For this week's specials, visit twit.tv slash Dell. It's time for Security Now, our regular visit to the deep, dark underside of uh, the Internet, Windows, Mac, and Linux. Steve Gibson, our security wizard, is here from GRC.com. Hi, Steve. Boy, you know, uh, we uh, once again were ahead of the curve last week talking about these Windows exploits, the zero-day exploits that come out right after the first or the second Tuesday of the month. And uh, there was another one, a PowerPoint exploit, fortunately, which doesn't seem to be out in the wild. It's just... It's amazing when these patches come out. There were 23 patches last Tuesday, and boy, they just, the hackers get to work. Well, and in fact, I'm I'm glad you brought that up because I wanted to reiterate that there is still this unpatched direct animation path control exploit that we talked about last week. Um, It's, it's, Microsoft has not addressed it. It's not clear whether or when they're going to. Um, and there is public exploit code in the wild. Um, I shot a, no- a note off to our to um, our, our friends down at um, Sunbelt Software, asking whether they had se- whether their web spiders had encountered the active exploitation of this in the same way that it was like a wildfire with that VML, the you know the right, previous right. zero day. I've not heard back from them yet, but um, I do want to remind people. That you know, as we talked about last week, if someone you know didn't get around to doing that, that the uh, using the little Zert utility to di- to temporarily disable the handling of direct animation, if in, in in Internet Explorer, if they use IE, if they have scripting enabled by default, then you really do. I think it's worth just going and using this little bit of free software to turn that off until Microsoft patches. And we, we, we can assume it'll be in the second Tuesday of November that they will be patching. So, But that still leaves, you know, four weeks of, of op- open vulnerability window. And, you know, the way things are developing now, the, the, um, the malicious hackers are deliberately releasing new exploits at the same time, Microsoft patches to optimize or maximize the amount of vulnerability, and it's all about installing junk in people's machines. You know, junk that no one wants installed yeah, in their machines. Yeah, it's just it's just amazing. Um, and and the fact that Microsoft isn't responding to this pa- this problem, this DirectX problem, surprises me, frankly. I, I, I guess they're still an, you know analyzing the issue. Uh, yeah, and in fact, an, another interesting little bit of news uh, w- uh, is Vista related. I'm sure you probably picked up on some of this, Leo. Um, the security companies have been very upset with Microsoft because my, v- Vista protects modifications of the kernel which which you know programs like McAfee and Symantec need to have access to the kernel in order to install their hooks well Microsoft's Vista one of the new security enhancements is a you know explicit protection from making any modifications to the kernel the problem is you know from an antitrust standpoint this locks out third-party software which has been able to use basically their own benign hacks in order to hack into the XP kernel to install themselves at the low level that they need to in order to monitor what's going on so what's really I, I kind of got a kick out of this is Microsoft has said okay well um, yes we see that could be a problem uh, so how about this in the service pack one release <laughs> we will provide the API you know brand new APIs My, Microsoft apparently is just weeks away from from uh, what's called RTM releasing to manufacturing the the final 
the, the final right. version October 25th it's one week away yeah yeah, yeah. And, and so Microsoft is saying well there aren't APIs in the kernel now that would allow this and so we can't put them in in time because I mean after all it takes Microsoft a month just to patch a flaw right so you know right. you, you could argue that there's no way you know they could delay Vista's release so it's it seems unfortunate that I mean essentially what's going to happen is as we know a major service pack release is typically you know 12 to 18 months downstream so none of these third-party tools can be developed in uh, and and used until service pack 1 of vista which means that basically they're going to shut out the market for third parties you know everyone will end up using microsoft's new security solutions and tools which are vista compatible and as a consequence of this it's very likely that you know these 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 traditional security companies are going to you know not be able to hook in their tools and probably end up never achieving the market share right. that they would have if they'd been able to release their stuff right at the at the t- at the release of Vista. Well, you know, it's complicated because you can have, you can of course say, well, this is Microsoft trying to assert a competitive advantage. But I have to think that given the trouble they've had with antitrust and the Department of Justice in the past, they'd be very unlikely to attempt that. And they can make a pretty good argument. Well, the reason we don't really, you know, the reason we put this patch guard technology in is because it's not, we're not just, we're not worried about Symantec and McAfee. We're worried about hackers. And, and, and Leo, having an API makes it open to hackers. And I, exactly. I would rather Microsoft did not open it yeah. because I think the danger of them doing that, I mean, you know, the first question that pops up is, okay, wait a minute. If you if there's if an API, an a- <laughs> yes, anyone can then use it. The bad guys can use it right. too. Exactly. I mean, so, I mean it's I- a win-win for Microsoft. It both gives them a competitive advantage and it makes their system more secure. By the way, I'm just reading the article. It looks like that the API will only be for 64-bit versions of Windows, and anyway, it won't be right. for 32-bit. So, right, uh, and that's of course where the big money is is in the 32-bit version. Yes, I think I think we're going to see very slow adoption of 64-bit just because you know the hardware is not there. You know, although you could argue at the same time that Vista is so resource hungry that we're going to need a lot of all that RAM. I mean, you know, yeah, uh, yeah. basically new machines anyway. Yeah. Although the 64-bit platforms are probably going to be a lot more expensive than the you know the much more mature you know faster you know Pentium 4 machines. Now today on the show we're going to talk about proxies, and and I want to do that in a second. But before we do, I just this, I mean, this is kind of crazy, but I, I just got an email this morning uh, from Megan, uh, who has a kind of a crisis, and I just wanted to ask if Spinrite would help with this. Um, I, I've been trying to help her out. She uh, I apparently lost a, f- a folder within Outlook, um, and uh, it had a bunch of business emails that she absolutely needed. Um, I, I, it's not clear from her email if she lost the entire Outlook.pst. I think she did. She says, I didn't delete anything. I didn't do anything. Is it, first of all, possible for a file just to disappear because of a hard drive error? Well, yes, it absolutely is. Would Spinrite um, recover a file if it were lost that way? Yeah, uh, probably. If if the if the problem was some file system damage that was as a that was not created by a virus or malware that is deliberately rewriting something but if it was a sector which was no longer readable right. then they, and for example we often see uh, the you know the um, the the testimonials pages full of people who were unable to get into Windows. They, they like it was they couldn't a even reboot boot. loop. They couldn't boot. They couldn't do anything, or something that they needed was broken. And so, so they just you know they ran Spinrite, and almost by you know almost miraculously, as as they describe it, now whatever problem they had is gone because it the, the problem was a was a as a result of a low level hard disk problem so just to make it clear spinrite isn't it doesn't understand file systems it's file system independent it's not going to rebuild your table of contents but if the table of contents is damaged because of a bad sector or if a file exactly. is damaged because of a bad sector it can recover that data by 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 recovering the data either moving it or kind of reformatting the sector underneath it to make it readable again is that right? Well, it, that's that that that's exactly right. The way hard drives work today is different than the way they used to work. In the old days, Spinrite had to understand the file system because it had to it had to relocate the clusters of, of data onto a different area of the drive and then relink the file system to refer to the relocated data. 
Today, drives are doing sector reassignment and relocation themselves is, under, is, underneath the file is system. Is that part of the ECC process? Uh, well, yeah. Uh, what, what actually happens is that if you remember when, when you and I uh, d- uh, demoed Spinrite on Call for Help, we could see errors occurring all the time on drives. Hundreds Dri- of them uh, every minute. Yes, yes. Drives have gotten so dense that drives are now depending upon the error correction code, ECC, just to read good sectors, <laughs> not, so not, e- not even bad sectors. You're, you're really quantum level now where you're kind of guessing where the bits are, whether they're on or off, and Leo, hoping these that dri- you're right. These drives are so dense. I mean, it's just insane how dense they are. So, I stopped so buying ha- big drives when you told me that. I, you know, I buy Raptors because I like the, the uh, 10,000 RPMs, but I buy... They're 150 gigabytes. I don't buy the big drives anymore. It, 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 it's funny because my computer supplier, whenever I call up and need some drives, I say, okay, what's the smallest? What's the smallest? What's the smallest drive I can and, still and that's, buy? That's because you're trying to reduce aerial density and therefore make them more reliable? Yes. Okay. Yes. I mean, you know, you can imagine that today, if we needed to, we could create the most reliable 100 meg drive ever seen. Because, you know, by, by, by comparison, 100 meg drives, the, the individual bits were so huge on the drive, that there's no way current technology could not read them right, reliably. Right. But, but, you know, manufacturers, I mean, think about it. You know, they're motivated by profit. They want to cram as much data as they can. And so drives are reliable enough. You know, they could, you know, they could make them absolutely reliable or you know well well by by increasing the price or by lowering the density but but, but they you but know we they want, want 500 inex- gigabyte drives ex- and we want them to be inexpensive cheap 500 so, gigabyte drives right exactly so so they make them reliable enough so anyway but back to ECC real quickly what 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 is what the drive does is when it makes a correction basically it creates an XOR mask and we've talked about XORing in the past in, in, in the, in the realm of encryption where you, 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 an XOR mask basically flips various bits. So the error correction code, when there's a problem, it creates an XOR mask that, that inverts the wrong bits to make them right again. Well, the length of the mask tells the drive how bad the sector is. The longer the mask is from the first one bit to the last one bit, which is to say the first bit that needs to be fixed and the last bit that needs to be fixed in a, in, in, in a linear run of bits, the length of that tells the drive whether it's time to relocate this sector. So drives can tolerate all, and they do now routinely tolerate just all the time lots of little corrections. When the correction starts getting too long, it passes a certain threshold, and the drive says, uh-oh, if I wait much longer, this may become uncorrectable. And so the drive takes the sector out of service, copies the corrected data to a new sector, and, and internally swaps that back into place. Since all of that happens underneath the file system, Spinrite doesn't need to worry about whether it's a, a Linux or a TiVo drive or a Mac or NTFS or anything. It just works with the drive at the sector level to repair things. And, and Spinrite's magic is it's able to recover unrecoverable data. That's, That's always been its claim to fame. Um, and it's able to do much more than the drive can do by itself working with the drive. So, you know, that's a long-winded answer to your your. Well, what um, I'm going to do is I'm going to send email. Megan uh, an email saying, you know, get spin right. I, I just wanted to uh, verify with you my initial instinct, which was it could be, yep. in fact, that just a bad sector. Well, and, and, and you know, for, for, for people like her who might be using spin right for a specific purpose, you know, we don't have a demo because there's a never been a way. A lot of people say I want a demo of spin right. I know. I know. But so so what we do is we have you know no problem with someone buying it and trying it and then writing to uh, our our sales address and saying hey you know it didn't work for me I'd, I'd li- I'm, I'm going to destroy my copy I'd like my money back wow. and so you know, we just have no problem with that at all oh I had no idea you did that that's really oh, ab- un- no no questions asked we'll just put the money back on your credit card. I, Steve, you're, you're you're so ethical. I can't stand it. You're good. I don't know how you've survived in this industry for as long as you. That's well, because you know. Look look at that testimonials page. You know. It, well, you were uh, telling me about one guy who pirated it. 
Um, yes. Uh, in fact, we, we, we got a, a piece of email last week. He said, me uh, I've, got it, I've got it in front of me. He said, I must be honest and tell you I used a pirated copy of Spinrite. Shame. A friend, a friend of mine gave me. Because you've never recover- copy protected it. I want to emphasize this. He's never put copy protection on Spinrite. No, I mean, I I would much rather trust yes. our customers yes. and not impede them in any way. Yeah. I mean, you know, Good more and you. more, more and more, you know, copy protection is becoming a problem. And, and anyway, so he says, uh, a friend of mine gave me to recover 120 gig of data on a drive, which suddenly quit. As a systems admin by trade, I should know better and back up regularly. But you know how it is. Backups are always on a back burner, not something we think about until problems occur. He said, needless to say, Spinrite saved my bacon. I was able to recover all my data, Yay. then move it to a secondary hard drive. That's so great. He says, I was so thankful and happy, I just bought my own licensed version of Spinrite. <laughs> Thank you so much for an amazing product. I doubt there are very many people, very many companies that could say that uh, their pirated program worked, and so people bought it. I mean, that's actually, really nice. Leo, and, and, and we hear this all the time. That's I get really this neat. kind of mail. And I mean, so, so I don't want to formally tell people they could, you know, loan their copies. But if, 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 a, if anyone listening to this owns a copy of Spinrite, a friend of theirs is in trouble, I'm not going to have a problem. If Spinrite could fix their system, I would, I would ask as a courtesy that that person then considers buying Spinrite. If it works, because, buy it. You know, if yeah. it works for them. Yep. You know, I wish we'd had Spinrite uh, at the uh, data center where uh, the website is uh, stored because, you know, we had a drive failure over the weekend. And I, it was everything I could do not to get on a plane with a copy of Spinrite and fly to, <laughs> and fly to Dallas. You know, I don't think the techs there were paying much attention. They didn't try to recover the drive. They just pulled it out. But... Um, there was some bad sectors, and uh, Linux was booting read only because of it. And yep. uh, and I thought, boy, if I can only get spin right on there, I know I could save that drive. That's the kind of thing it does all the time. Fortunately, right? we had good backups, and they gave me a free drive to replace it, so it was okay. Cool. Although I have to say, I've, uh, it took them so long. I'm moving to a different data center, and now I'm using RAID five with uh, three Raptors, 350 gigabyte Raptors. Perfect. And I think that will that will protect us. Yes. Yes, in fact, that 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 is exactly my configuration. I'm not yeah. using Raptors because I don't need uh, that much performance. But I, on on GRC's web servers, I use RAID five. I have three drives three drives in a RAID five with a, a hot spare, right. and so the the RAID controller is able to sw- to to switch over and rebuild the the, the RAID array. Well, that's you know, on, automatically. On the, on the fly. Oh, yeah. that's neat. Well, I think I'd still have to make a call to the uh, network center if that happened. But at least we wouldn't lose anything. And I back up. You know, we have a network attached storage uh, device, which I back up to and everything. But uh, right. we didn't lose any data, thank goodness. Anyway, enough of... enough. Uh, the only reason I bring this up is because to get a chance to talk to Steve about hard drives. I mean, this is the guy who knows more about hard drives probably than any uh, human alive, <laughs> except maybe uh, Stanley Seagate or whatever. But... Uh, but or uh, Shugart died, didn't he? Al Shugart. But uh, yeah, Al. But um, uh, so it's nice to get something in a while to ask the. I have the privilege of asking you directly, and I do appreciate that. You know, as, as long as we're uh, talking about security, let me mention uh, our longtime sponsor. It's kind of neat to be able to say our longtime sponsor and uh, the great guys at Astaro Corporation. A S T. A-R-O, makers of the Astaro Security Gateway. I've told you before that it's free. For home users, for non-commercial use, you can download it from astaro.com. Uh, put it on a uh, you know beige box PC, any old computer lying around, and there it is. Boom, you've got a great security device. For a little bit more, I think it's something like 80 euros a year, you can add anti-spam, anti-virus, anti-hacker, all of this great stuff, all open source, all high quality. I also want to tell you, though, that the Astaro Security Gateway Appliance is designed for business. If your small or medium business network needs superior protection from spam, viruses, and hackers, as well as complete VPN capabilities, intrusion protection, content filtering, and an industrial-strength firewall, all in an easy-to-use, high-performance appliance, contact Astaro, A-S-T-A-R-O.com, or call 877-4ASTARO to schedule your free trial of an Astaro Security Gateway appliance in your business. Astaro. Proud sponsors of Security Now, A-S-T-A-R-O dot com. Today we're going to talk about proxies. Yes, we talked last week about Mojo Pack, and I said that I wanted, that, no, the plan was this week to talk about Mojo Pack. 
However, unfortunately, as I tried to communicate with them, because as I said, I wanted to really understand what the technology was, I did a lot more research and I found out that that you know at the moment they're sort of in they've they've got problems from the looks of it they they jumped out of the gate prematurely there was a there was the the, the fall demo show was the weekend before the the, the podcast expo that that's right that's right that's September yes. 26th and, I think yeah yep and Mark Thompson uh, was actually one of the of the 50 companies that was chosen to show well the Mojo Pack company was another one as well as a third company called U3 um, I, I, I mentioned that because U3 has something very similar. Unfortunately, the, the, the Mojo Pack stuff has apparently had a lot of problems. It was in beta, working in a certain way. When they took it to version 1.0, they made a major change that, that involves basically their own copy protection scheme oh, it used boy. to run on one on USB 1.0 drives which do not necessarily have to have a built-in serial number the spec for USB 2.0 incorporates a serial number which locks their mojo pack stuff to the drive well so so what happened was people who were all excited about mojo pack and using it in beta when it went to version 1.0, it broke Ugh. most of what people were doing without any announcement or word. Then when people started complaining, they shut down the forums. Mojo Pack shut down the forums in order not to allow these complaints to be seen. This is which like a really, case study on how to do things wrong. It, it was amazing. And then, then they had uh, the, the, the beta was also locked. So that you could only use it for 30 days, the, that is the, the trial, you could only use it for 30 days or 99 boots. But it turns out the way people were using it, they would boot it many times a day. So it ended up lasting a week or two, then it would refuse to work any lo- longer. But the e-commerce system was not online yet, so people could not oh, buy it boy. and could not register it. Well, a lot of that has just been fixed just in the last couple of days. Um, I've been trying to get someone on the phone. Try, I've sent email. I mean, even to the to the who is registration email addresses because I can't get any response from anybody. And so I just thought, okay, let's. I'm going to back off let's a week. Let's not talk about this product. <laughs> we can't. We really. I think it's not quite ready for prime time. Not ready yet. And it does seem like there are problems with the technology because it doesn't perform a full virtualization of the system. Mm. So people have been finding that registered software that locks itself to the computer won't. It, it will see a different computer when you move it to a different environment. Well, the whole idea is for it to be portable, so you're able to, you know, stick it in any computer you happen to be visiting, and it brings your environment right. with you. Right. Well, if you if you are relying on the programs that you've got, and they suddenly say, "Oh, you're not authorized," then you know defeats the purpose. So anyway, I'm I, I while doing all this, I found another company called U3 that has something similar and far more mature uh, just appearing and they also announced and released at 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 the fall demo show. And then there's another company called uh Mocha 5, which is a, a, a an interesting really interesting approach coming out of uh, Stanford. Anyway, you know, we've been talking about how virtualization technology is going to be moving forward. Well, basically, these are three other virtualization solutions that I want to cover um, next week. Great, because I'm very interested. And uh, obviously, there's a lot of demand for this kind of a product. Of course, if it doesn't work, it's not... Well, it's a cool idea. The idea that you carry your environment and your applications and your data with you, you plug them into Everybody any, wants this. This is any great. Windows. Well, and of course, it's been enabled by the fact that we now have affordable four gig USB flash drives. You know, it would it could, you couldn't have done it back when people were talking about sixty four right. megs because right. contemporary applications and data won't fit there. But now that you've got multiple gig flash drives, it's like, wait a minute, this is. This, I mean, it it inverts the whole model. So I mean, it, it's very exciting. And I and the other thing too is that the, the Mojo Pack guys really seem to be a little bit license heavy. For example, you you are you can move your Mojo Pack between drives, I think twice 
and never again. Oh, and please. It's like, I know. I, why, I know. Why, 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 and, and, why, and, and the problem is, you know, you would like, and it's not cheap. It's twenty twenty nine ninety five now, but it's going to be 50 bucks um, after it comes out of it, 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 its trial phase. Well, that seems like a lot of money for what they're doing, especially with all the limitations that they're, they're, they're putting on it. Yeah. And it seems like a great idea. So my sense is that they are not going to be alone in this market for long. And there will li- you know, likely be some, some free or open source solutions um, that, that are coming along. And in fact, I've already pretty much found one. Oh, good. So, all right. Well, we'll yep. talk about all that next week. Yep. This week, proxies, and you see this a lot. I see proxies all the time. You used to see it more often. You, you know, it's hidden away in the browser settings, and every once in a while you'd see a, a program that say, do you have a SOX proxy? Or, and then people were talking about proxy servers. Uh, it doesn't seem like people talk about it much anymore. Uh, what is a proxy, and what is it used for? Well, it, it, it is the kind of thing we want to talk about because it can be, it can enhance your privacy and anonymity, um, and it can also be a security vulnerability and problem. Oh, okay. Essentially, stepping back and, and looking at a definition, you know, the word proxy itself implies somebody acting on your behalf. So, you know, when, when, when you give like, you know, voting proxies to somebody else, you are saying, you know, you have my voting proxy. You can vote the way, you know, uh, I instruct you to. And so they do that on your behalf. The, the formal definition of, for example, an, an internet proxy or a, a web proxy is that you, your client, for example, your browser, instead of connecting to the remote server, it, it connects to the proxy server. It makes the request of the proxy, which then turns around and on your behalf makes the request to the remote server. The, the result comes back to the proxy. It then turns around, and through the connection you have to the proxy, it returns the data to you. Um, there are th- This is actually being done by many ISPs. And in fact, my local um, Cox cable provider um, often proxies in a transparent fashion. That is, you, you as, a, as a customer of the ISP, you believe you're connecting to the remote machine. In fact, you are being transparently proxied. That is, it's not a proxy that you even see or are aware of, but you are, you're actually connecting, your, your connection is intercepted by the ISP. It then makes the request. The reason they do this is for caching. The ISP naturally has to pay for all the bandwidth it uses out to the internet but if instead it can put a large caching proxy at its at its boundary to the internet then maybe some of the things your web browser is asking for are in its cache so so what happens is the first person for example to go to amazon.com will make a request for the amazon page and due to you know the uniqueness of the page, uh, there are there are all kinds of you know it looks very cryptic if you look at one of these Amazon.com pages because they don't they don't want their page to be given to anybody else. So so what happens is you make the request to Amazon.com, the the proxy intercepts it, gets the page from Amazon, and then returns it to you. As we know, we've talked about how web pages are built. That web page contains all kinds of other little um, pictures, you know, pictures of buttons, pictures of, of, of the user interface, all kinds of other things, which you, your web browser then sends out in a series of requests. Well, those are much more generic than the web page, the custom web page you received. So it's very likely that if anybody had anybody also behind the same proxy in this case an ISP's whole domain if if they had recently gone to Amazon and their browser had pulled all of those other things back through the proxy would cache them if it had permission to do so and keep them locally. That's why uh, uh, that's an argument I have constantly with our advertising agency because uh, their numbers are so low, and I think it's a lot of it is because uh, uh, what would be the number one thing you would cash a podcast? Yeah. 
Yes. Uh, if a thousand Comcast customers all ask for the same Security Now podcast, I bet you anything it counts as one download. Well, and it, it, it it's good for two reasons. First of all, saves it means, me bandwidth. <laughs> That's for yeah, sure. exa- well, exactly. It saves you bandwidth. Okay, there's there's three reasons. It saves you bandwidth. It saves the ISPs bandwidth right. to the net. Remember that they're paying for their usage. They only get one copy. Exactly, and they it's get faster one copy. too to the local uh, customer. That's the third advantage, exactly, Leo. Is that is that we're getting it from our local ISP, even though it seems to be coming from AOL. It's actually coming from us from a stored copy on our ISP. Is there any so way for me to, to tell that I'm getting a proxied copy instead of a cached copy instead of the original copy? There, there is no way from the user standpoint in the case of a transparent proxy how about from now, from the provider's standpoint there, there actually is if they cared uh, this is i pro- care <laughs> <laughs> i care deeply <laughs> um it, it, it's interesting this is a problem that i had and solved with with shields up because and it's how I happen to know that my, my local Cox provider is using a transparent proxy because what would happen would be if, if, if someone at, at Cox, for example, went to Shields Up, they're, they're using a web page that they think is coming from me, but it's actually been intercepted by, by, by the Cox mm-hmm. transparent proxy. Mm-hmm. I, the IP address that I receive ah. from on my web server is the proxy's IP address. Not the uh, local users. It, exactly. And so if I weren't you know, a smart boy, I would be testing the security oh. of the proxy <laughs> server <laughs> exactly, <laughs> yeah. rather than the, the, the actual visitor who's coming to GRC to get their shield so tested. So you are able to get around that. Yes, I do it two ways. First of all, um, SSL, as we've talked about before, is a key for avoiding proxies because unless the proxy is explicitly configured, and and we'll talk about that in a second, what, what, what it means to have an explicit proxy as opposed to a transparent proxy, but a transparent proxy cannot transparently intercept SSL because the certificate, there's no way it can give your browser a certificate that matches the site. So so when you establish a Shields Up connection, the first thing I do is switch you into a secure SSL connection to avoid the proxy. Um, the other thing that happens is that proxy servers will add some headers to the request that they forward to the server, which is another, which is a nice way, Leo, that that your advertising technology could know that this was actually a request coming from a from a proxy and not from the user. Although it still wouldn't let the it wouldn't let we wouldn't your get server, a number. We would just right. We would know because, that the, who's requesting this is not an end user but a proxy. Exactly. But we would never know uh, how many end users ended up sharing that copy. That's true. And there's no way to know that. What happens is in a in a in an HTTP request, there are headers at the beginning of the request that contain a bunch of different information like, you know, what the user's client uh is, um uh, that's where cookies are offered along with the request. Um, the the user's uh, user agent. Well, one of the things, uh, an optional header that could be included says it's called it's it's, it's an X header. It says X hyphen forwarded for and then an IP address. So that's where it's saying I am a proxy forwarding this request on behalf of this other IP. So then you'd get the IP of the proxy server and the IP of the actual user behind the request. In order to in order to see that that's what was going on, and there, there there's another header called via, and so that says that this is coming via you know this server. So there are some headers that will expose that this is going on to the destination server, but over on the user side, there's no way for them to know. Well, I'm going to have to go uh, send a note to our uh, <laughs> advertising agency and say, are you looking for these headers? Well, now, now there there are some other things that are going on that could be done uh, in order to give you reliable counts. Remember, at one point, actually early in this discussion, I said if the if the if the proxy has permission to cache 
the content. So one way we know we can avoid caching is by using SSL. Um, SSL used to be much more expensive. Sort of in the old days of the net, we would try not to use SSL because of the of the overhead of establishing connections. That was especially true back in in, in the HTTP 1.0 days, where you would establish a separate connection for every single asset that you were downloading from the server. So so you're just constantly establishing SSL connections that do have that crypto overhead at establishment. Well, that's one of the reasons that the the next generation spec, the HTTP 1.1 spec, which is what virtually everyone is using today, it limits the total number of connections by default to two, so that your browser can establish two simultaneous connections to a server. But now it will stream multiple queries and and, and responses through those two connections so that that dramatically lowers the per asset overhead of SSL because it, it creates the connection once and then leaves it up until the browser finally says okay I'm done with this server so it, it, it means that SSL is a far less overhead technology and also our machines at both ends the servers and the 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 uh, the client users machines are so much stronger now that SSL really doesn't represent an impediment. So that's one thing that can be done. The other thing is that when the server returns the request to the user's client, which may be intercepted by a transparent proxy, one of the headers in the response is an expiration header, or can be an expiration header, and there are even cache prohibition headers. It's possible for the server to say this expires in and it, it it can express it as a future time or a duration. So basically I mean and, and and that's really what you'd like. You'd like the server to say these GIF images that I'm serving <clears throat> excuse me for the page have a lifetime of a day for example. And so what that does is that permits not only the the transparent cache that the 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 proxy cache that may or may not be in line, but that's something that the user's own browser pays attention to. This is this is where you sometimes see a, a difference if you refresh your page, especially in at least for the IE, you, if you hold the control key down when you do a refresh, sometimes um, you'll get a different page or a fresher page. What holding the control key down does is it says to IE, do not use any assets right. in your cache. Go get fresh copies. The shift so shift key on, uh, on Mac for those. Okay. Yeah. So, 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 so the idea is that you know it's a benefit for users and for the server because the server says here's a page and oh by the way all these little you know page decoration things they're good for a day so as long as it hasn't been a day since you last asked for it feel free to use it from your local cache and, and you, that is your local browser cache and what that has the effect of is it it speeds up the second and third and successive pages on the same site, as long as that the, the, the those pages are using the same assets, your browser takes them from your own machine locally. Similarly, any transparent cache is, is basically obeying the same rules. It receives the assets and it will cache them for all of the users that might be behind the proxy served by the same ISP as long as that thing hasn't expired. Now, the other thing that can be done for volatile content, for example, e-commerce pages, you would hope that they're all going to be done over SSL, so they're not going to have a problem. But but you, the, I've seen sites where where the, the, you're only secure during the 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 sensitive transaction involving a credit card, and then you're no longer secure. Hopefully, those pages are all marked as non-cacheable. There's a header that that says, "Absolutely never." cache this. The other thing that can be done, and, and sometimes it's done redundantly, it's what I do on my own site, is I show an expiration in 1997 
the which is actually a commonly used date in in the past that will also prevent anything from caching that content because it's like it's pre-expired it says you know this expired in 1997 well now it's 2006 and so you know obviously that's no good so there are things that could be done to prevent these things from being cached um, but 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 you're right Leo there's no way to know if the content you're serving isn't pre-expired mm-hmm. or served so that it cannot be cached it can be cached and probably is being cached because it's such a win for ISPs so I have to figure and I remember that at home kind of pioneered this that's one of the earliest broadband ISPs that was one of the things they were most proud of was this uh, cached proxy servers um, and I, I, I bet you that uh, we're missing a lot of downloads from the big broadband ISPs because I'm sure Cox, Comcast, Roadrunner, they all do this. Yes, I mean it. It, it really is a win for them. Yeah. Okay. Now, what we've talked about so far has been transparent ISP caching. Um, there's a, there, there's another type of proxy which is not transparent, which is something that the user, many users, are often in a, in a, in a corporate setting, they have to configure their browsers to use their their corporate proxy in order to get access to the web. That's that it, setting in the browser that you see. Exactly, and and here's an interesting tip. Um, once I went down to my office. And uh, I think it was in the evening because Sue was having some problems with her computer. I fired up IE and waited for a long time, I mean, more than I'm used to, for it to get going. And I thought, huh, I wonder what's going on. Well, I poked around and I found that she had left IE set in its default case, which is automatically determine proxy settings. It turns out that if you haven't disabled that, every time you launch IE, you are hung for a while while IE looks for either a DHCP or a DNS server that can point it to a file containing its proxy settings. So, uh, so um, for, for anyone listening who's an IE user, you, if you go through the normal menu... You go to an, an, under the tools off the main IE menu to Internet Options, then choose the Connections tab, and then there at the bottom is a LAN Settings button. You should normally, unless you need to use a proxy, you should uncheck Automatically Determine the proxy settings. If you do that, I'm not sure if you have to, if you have to restart IE or reboot, probably at least have to restart IE, you'll be surprised how much faster Internet Explorer gets going. Because w- w- what the, the way these proxy settings are determined automatically is that Internet Explorer sends out a, a request to a DHCP server. Now, we've talked about DHCP frequently because that that's that the, the it's what's engaged when you tell um, your system to obtain its IP settings. Well, it turns out the DHCP can actually provide a much wider range of information if it's asked to. So beyond just my IP address, my subnet mask, and my gateway, um, it, it's actually able to provide additional information and, in fact, in this case, a URL for a server that can can give the browser a file telling it how to configure itself for for Ooh, local proxy usage. That's cool. I like that. It, it is cool. Now, the bad news is, first of all, this was all designed by Microsoft for IE uh, in, a, in a 1999 draft, uh, you know, an IETF, an Internet Engineering Task Force draft. It has never been ratified. It was never adopted. It's expired. In fact, I think it expired in 1999. I think it was actually older than that. It expired. It was never renewed. And, of course, here we are now in 2006. So it it never really took hold. The problem is if, if DHCP, if no local DHCP server responds, Microsoft's IE falls back to using DNS queries. It, it, lo- it, it uses your machine name, you know, you, you, uh, w- within a corporate environment, you might have like your, your, your machine name or, or number, then, you know, dot your division, dot your branch, dot your company, dot com, for example. And so what it does is it, 
it looks for a specific DNS entry and it it goes backwards down the line stripping off one dotted name at a time until it gets all the way back down to your company dot com or, or org or edu or whatever well so obviously that takes time which is where all this delay is coming from as we're waiting for IE to launch it always does that if you have it set to obtain the, the proxy settings automatically the problem is it it makes a mistake if you've got a, a a more than a single name in your top level domain you know it works fine for you know grc.com or you know uci.edu for example it fails though with those urls like co.uk it actually thinks that co is your company name. <laughs> oh, it ends I know it's such a crock. <laughs> it's so ends, easy to figure that one out. And it ends up being a security problem oh, no. because it makes a request out onto the internet for um, I, th- I, I I think it's a file called w uh, oh it's it's wpad.co.uk which because it thinks you're in you're at a company called co in the top-level right. domain UK, right. and it turns out that that file, I mean, that machine was created, and it can give your browser bogus proxy settings, causing it to reroute all of its traffic there. Oh, interesting. Thank you, Microsoft. Yeah. So well, you think they'd know a little bit about TLDs by now. <laughs> it's just yeah. not that hard. Well, it makes a mistake. Now, Now I'm not sure that the latest versions haven't fixed this. Um, it, uh, who knows what's going on? But it, it's definitely the case that anyone who doesn't need to use a locally configured proxy server definitely wants to go in and turn off that automatic um, uh, proxy discovery technology. It's bad in the first place, and it slows down every time you use Internet Explorer and fire it up for the first time. So so what this does essentially is it gives your browser a URL and a port. Often it's, it's like port 8080 that is used internally, and all of your browser's traffic is rerouted through your your company's local proxy server now that has a number of different benefits um you know which which really can be useful and 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 enhance the experience for example it can be doing caching it will often often be enforcing policies you might have your corporate IT you know blacklisting a whole bunch of sites that that they don't want anyone going to so it allows them to perform filtering it also allows them to to perform you know on the fly malware filtering so that you're not going to be getting malicious scripts and 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 code and things by by forcing the browser to go through this locally configured proxy so it it can be that this stuff is being done transparently um, but more often in a corporate setting, you'll find that you know if you don't use their local proxy, they've got port 80 blocked at, at, at the corporate firewall. So you're not able to get out and, and access a server on port 80. You are forced to configure your browser to use your employer's proxy, which in the process of doing so means that all of your traffic goes through their filter, for you know whatever purposes and unfortunately it does mean that you know there are privacy concerns right 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 so what should you do uh, really you have no choice at that point you you could as and we sort of talked about this you could use um, you know like a Hamachi or right. go to my PC or, or a VPN, VPN tunnel right, in, right. in order to get out of the corporate shield and of course you know then there's a problem if if your corporation is allowing that that's controversial because then you are explicitly avoiding whatever you know security policies they've put in place for the purpose of protecting themselves right right so that's that you know that's of 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 dubious value and uh you know you, you could you could imagine people in the future are going to be um, you know, blocking these sorts of things because you know it does open holes through the through the corporate security. Right, right. And finally, um, there are other proxies. I mean, just sort of in general, um, there are, for example, compression proxies, 
which uh, cell phones and PDAs are beginning to use more and more, they will connect through a proxy, and its job is to reformat large pages to fit much smaller screen sizes. So there you're actually seeing you know, content being redesigned on the fly in order, to, in order to, to fulfill some specific niche need of, of that proxy user. And so, I mean, the, the whole concept of a, of a proxy is something which is, is in between you and your, your remote connection and is probably doing some sort of filtering function. There, there's even a, a very popular local proxy that you actually run in your own machine uh, called Proxometron. Proxometron. Oh yeah, we've recommended that for years. Yeah, I mean it, it's a it's a it's terrific, the worst you, looking piece of software I've ever seen, but it does get it, the job done. Yes, <laughs> it is. It's not, and it's extremely techy and not very user friendly. No. Um, but the idea is, it sets up a little local web server on your machine. You configure your web browser to use it as you know your own machine as the proxy server so you you make your request to proxometron just like we were saying then it issues the request from itself in your computer it comes back that allows it to impose itself in between your browser and the outside world and perform whatever filtering um, uh, and you know, anti-spam, anti-advertising, all the different things that, that it's able to do on behalf of of, of your system. That raises and, and an interesting uh, question: What kind of performance hit do these proxy servers impose? Well, now that's a very good that's a very good point, Leo. So the certainly the the fancier they are, the more they're doing, the the more performance penalty you're going to have. And and a, a, a simple caching server. Is very low overhead. You know the, the 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 instance of a caching server on that an ISP has, as we've said, due to the fact that it will often have substantial amounts of content that are current in its cache due to somebody else having recently gone to MSNBC or MSN or Amazon or eBay or, or whatever. I mean, the, the net benefit is a huge gain because you're not loading down that remote server, the, the, the destination server, and you're getting your content back on essentially what is a LAN, you know, your own ISP's LAN. So that's a is, big you know, improvement. That, all that of the speeds custom- up everything. Yes, and and and, but and something like also, Proxometron might slow it down because yes, yeah. and, and also Proxometron is very powerful in in as much as it's using it's using regular expressions, it's using scripting, it, it it's got typically lots of layers of things. One of the one of the things that I've talked about and just have never never gotten around to is is this notion of a, of GRC's net filter. Which would be a transparent filter oh. to do these sorts of things, but of course I'd write it in assembly language, and you know I'd I'd really make it efficient, make it really efficient and way prettier and and more user friendly. So that's on my on my list of things I hope to get around to one of <laughs> yeah, these days someday. <laughs> I know it's a long list, folks. It's a growing list, <laughs> long and growing. And lastly. Um, I'm going to reserve a an in-depth look at one additional uh, proxy system for its own entire episode because it's so cool. Many people are interested in it and are talking about it, and that's Tor, the Onion Router yes, system. Yes, lots of questions about Tor. Yes, it, it um, it's really cool technology. I want to give it its own show because it deserves it, and it's basically it uses a a chain of explicitly privacy-enhancing proxies in a very clever way using essentially nested encryption in a, in a, in a, that create the reason it's called an onion router is it's like layers, layers. of an onion right, right. which are wrapped and unwrapped and we've got all of the background from our from our from our crypto series to understand the use its use of symmetric and asymmetric crypto keys i mean it, it's just been beautifully designed so we're going to talk about that here uh, before long in a, in a couple of weeks good well uh, we made this an extra long episode because i slowed you down at the beginning but i'm glad we talked a little bit about proxies i know people are very interested in that and so we've seen that uh, that word around for a long time and there are all different kinds of proxies some could be an advantage some could be a security 
issue. And uh, it just depends on how it's being implemented, I guess. There actually have been cases where proxies have, by mistake, they have cached malicious pages. Wow. And so after the server was taken down... The, pro- oh. the, the the server's content had been scattered all over the net in ISP transparent caching proxies, which continued to infect people's systems. That's so, as bad. you said, <laughs> you got to be careful yeah, so, what you cache. <laughs> well, well, and in fact, there have been search engines that have been guilty of the same right, thing. Since right. since search engines cache. You know, basically, you know, Google. I don't mean to single out Google because all search engines do this, but or or the, the the ones that are doing caching do. They will keep copies of pages. They don't know that it's a malicious page, but they'll keep it in their local cache. And if you ask, they'll they'll you know serve right. it to you. It's there. Yep. Yeah. Although I would imagine, certainly in this day and age, that Google would. Sp- been some effort trying to sanitize that stuff uh, well of course as as we know google google is now explicitly using a list of known malicious pages and warning people if they click on a link i actually got that warning a couple days ago when i was when i was poking around oh really um yeah it'll it'll say this is a potentially malicious page are you sure you want to view it oh that's really interesting it's really a cool service yeah that's a good idea all right, Steve Arino, I appreciate your time. As always, we remind people that SpinRight is the ultimate disk recovery and maintenance utility and available from Steve's site at grc.com. We also thank the folks at Dell for providing the support for this podcast. They've been a great sponsor for the last couple of months. And every week we add new picks to the Leo's Picks page at twit.tv slash Dell. If you're getting ready for Vista, you're ready to buy a new computer, You'd just like to see what's out there in terms of laptops and desktops. We've got laptops and desktops and other things uh, all on the page, and we'd appreciate it. if, Even if you don't buy those items, if you click through there, uh, we get credit for anything else you do buy at twit.tv slash Dell. And thanks to Dell for their support. Steve Gibson, I think uh, we've wrapped up another thrilling, gripping episode of Security Now. We're going to call it Security and uh, Hard Drive Maintenance Now. A new name right. for the show. <laughs> I'm sorry, I apologize for bringing that stuff up. I just, you know, when I get when I can have you to ask questions, uh, it really is a, a valuable opportunity for me. And I know people are interested in these subjects. So, yeah, I, I've actually had people want to spend more time talking about spin right, which I, I mean, I I want to keep it in well, people's mind. Even just it, just how drives work would be uh, of of interest. Uh, it's yeah. not security, but you you know so much. I, I'm sure in order to write spin right, you had to really learn the details of drive operation right down it's, to the nitty-gritty. It's my life. Is it, you know, is, 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 it sounds like it's changed a little bit since when you first started writing SpinRite. Oh, yeah. I mean, remember that, that you know, the, the original catalyst for SpinRite was interleave optimization. Oh, yes. That, I remember that. You'd yep. set the interleave size when you first formatted a drive. Oh, those yep. dark days are gone. Thank goodness. The, 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 the original concept was to do a non-destructive, right. low-level reformat. I remember no one had, No one had ever heard of it. And in fact, when, when Peter Norton invited me up to Santa Monica because he wanted to buy SpinRite from me, he said, "You know, Steve. You know, of course, he was famous for the Norton Utilities, right. and and he, uh, th- their own um, reviews, their their surveys of what their customer want, their, their customers of the Norton Utilities wanted. They said they wanted SpinRight, and so he had me up for lunch to, you know, what's it going to cost to buy SpinRight from you? And of course, not selling it to Peter was the best decision I ever made in my life. I mean, literally. But is that true? Why um, is that? Oh, because you know, it, it that was." That was in the early days of Spinrite, and I, I've been, you know, basically thriving from Spinrite, and Spinrite's been thriving from me, you know, um, for all these years. If I had sold it to them, um, I, I wouldn't, it. I yeah. wouldn't have it. But then neither would they. Actually, they ended up cloning it, and I'm, I'm being polite because, uh, <laughs> and I know this is not Peter's fault, but we found our code Uh-oh. in their version, which they called Calibrate. Uh-oh. After Uh-oh. I declined to sell it, they I came out Calibrate, with yeah. Calibrate. But it ended up, we ended up winning from that too, because since they hadn't really written it, they couldn't support it. And so their customers would call, and their own support people ended up saying, well, why don't you just get a copy of SpinRite? <laughs> That's what we stole it from anyway. So we ended up, we ended up getting referrals from them. Oh, 
that's but but hysterical. but but, Pe- but Peter said, he said, you know, Steve, when I heard that you were doing a a non-destructive low-level reformat, he said, I just shook my head and kept waiting to see a mushroom cloud coming up <laughs> from from you know south of me in Southern California. He says, you know, how could you possibly do that safely? And I said, well, that's you know, that's my magic. So of course, uh, the mushroom cloud eventually came from the other side of the. Uh, valley but that's another story entirely exactly. for another day steve gibson a pleasure as always grc.com for show notes the 16 kilobit versions and of course elaine's great transcripts grc.com and we will see you next thursday and maybe we'll talk about uh, mojo pack and the like yeah uh, you know equivalent software uh, next thursday on security now thanks steve take care security now